0: Welcome to All Shall Be Well, a conversation hosted by InterVarsity's Women in the Academy and Professions. Giving voice to women seeking to live fully into their God-given callings and be a redeeming influence, whether in the university or beyond. On this episode of All Shall Be Well, Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond, we are delighted to share with you an interview with Janine Uzel from a recent webinar series entitled Dear Mentor. Janine Uzel is the COO of the Wikimedia Foundation, the nonprofit organization that supports and hosts Wikipedia. Janine is a transformational leader, a storyteller, an engineer, and a self proclaimed global citizen. This Dear Mentor webinar was inspired by our Dear Mentor column that you can find at slash Dear Mentor, where mentors answer questions sent in by our audience. This particular webinar was hosted by the Director of Women in the Academy and Professions, Karen Guzman. We are really grateful to Janine for taking the time to offer her stories and wisdom to our community, and we hope that you will find her message inspiring in these times of uncertainty. So
1: we're thrilled to have Janine Uzel with us tonight. Janine is currently the Chief Operating Officer for the Wikimedia Foundation. She joined there in 2019. I think I saw you, Janine, at Urbana, right?
2: Just before... You joined your just before I started. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I was recruiting at Urbana. Like, that's, like that's, <laughs> I, was like, I can't tell y'all where I'm going to go work, that's but right. I'm that's keep
1: right. <laughs> I remember that. I remember it's like something's up, but I can't say what. Yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> That's right. We're thrilled to have her here. As I just mentioned, she's been at Urbana student conferences working with business students and MBA students there. She's a favorite speaker and panelist at the annual Believers in Business Conference that the MBA uh, Ministry does. So we're just super glad to have you with us tonight, Janine. Thanks for being here. And would you tell us what about your work right now is
2: bringing you joy? Mm. Wow. Well, first of all, hey, y'all. Thanks for letting me be casual. It's a little after nine here on the East Coast. (laughs) I'm just in my favorite chair, kind of chilling, and I hope that's okay. So what is bringing me joy? Hmm. Let me tell you, I'm not going to lie. Even though I know that my joy is in Christ, it's not easy, like, Tapping into that or owning that every day, right? So I've recently put myself in a rhythm with this Bible study. So for me, in order to learn the scriptures, like just full disclosure, I'm not really good at being like just super disciplined in my Bible study. And I have a desire to be. So my prayer partner and I started a a Bible study by Lifeway on discerning the voice of God. And I've done it before, but now I'm doing it with someone for accountability and i have to say that the discipline of doing that study is at least bringing me groundedness which is bringing me some joy because it's tough finding it turning off my tv brings me joy <laughs> a little bit like <laughs> not like deciding that i'm just not going to watch and i my friends are commentary folks on MSNBC so sometimes supporting them is just to get the metrics to go up on MSNBC when they're on they're like you have to turn it on we need to blow the numbers off the roof but like turning it putting it on mute because I can't watch it like I I can't watch tv anymore and stuff like that but I have to tell you guys this one thing please indulge me for a moment because this is bringing me joy my great nephew his name is Jace and he just turned six and he is on the autism spectrum. And so Jace talks to my niece, his mom, Andrea, you know, in some broken, fragmented spaces. And he and I have been very close because I took sabbatical when he was born for a year. I spent time with him. And he and I, he will talk and share things. And we do things like, when we do a lion roar or a dinosaur. I don't know what kind of noise they make. And we do things like that on FaceTime. And Jay's got a karaoke machine for his birthday. And he doesn't speak in complete sentences. And my niece sent me a video the other night. She was sneaking like in the corner watching him. And he's singing. And he was, he sang Yes, Jesus Loved Me, which is a song I've been singing to him forever, and I didn't know he knew the words to it. He sang Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And for some reason, I don't know how, but this brings me the ultimate joy. He sang a straight 80s throwback, Don't You Want Me Baby. And I don't know where he <laughs> learned this song from. He's six. And my niece thinks maybe he learned it from a commercial. But he, this guy, he's autistic and he doesn't speak, like he, he does the stemming where he makes noises but not talking. And he's like, don't you want me baby. So thank you for asking me that question because That's that brought me extreme joy.
1: That's great. Thank you for sharing that. That's fun.
2: That's my nephew, Jace.
1: That's right. Well, let's think about work okay, uh-huh. for a bit, all right? So one of the questions that came to us is, as you are in the midst of beginning or building your career, particularly in competitive industries, how do we remain Christ-like? while still seeking to grow our careers and to advance?
2: So I fell in love with God at a young age, but my maturity in Christ has grown throughout my career. So when I first started, there's some things that maybe I wish I had done differently than now. But ultimately, there's a few things that I do wherever I go, and I pray that they always land well. The first one is that I'm doing my best to remain surrendered to plan that God has for me. And my, my prayer is always like, God, whatever your Jeremiah 29 plan is for me, let me please be surrendered and yielded to that because people will say, oh, this is the next great job for you, or this is the role that we want you to have, or this is where you want me to be. And spiritually and being surrendered to Christ means saying, This may be what other people want me to do. This may even be what the market says I should do. This may even be what my wallet or my bank account says I should do. But this is where God is calling me. And I've learned that God does three things with me. He takes me to places where he wants me to lead. He wants me to learn. And then he wants me to leave. And that's not everybody's story, but that is my story. And I go into these roles and I lead people. I learn a lot. And then I leave. And it's very interesting that he does that to me because I'm a very emotional, attached person, so leaving is hard for me. But I would encourage you to lean into the Holy Spirit, which is our conduit, our connection to hearing from God, and ask God, you know, you've given me these skills, you've given me these talents, you've given me this experience, whether it's at this university or in this assignment globally or otherwise, where do you want me to be so that I can... Do the work that you called me to be and you'll be glorified. And for me, for 16 and and more than that years, that was at GE. And I watched God move a multinational company to do different things. And I believe he did it for me, for him, for them. And right now it's at Wikipedia. You know, people say, oh, you're the COO of like one of the top 10 websites in the world. I'm like, well, what I really am is a servant that has some skills And I use them where God sends me. And right now it's at Wiki. And I have to remain nimble or pliable enough and obedient enough. And I'm still working on that so that when he calls me to go somewhere else, I do it. That's not always like so easy because it's not just about obeying. It's about like obeying immediately.
1: Thanks. So I hear you talk about maintaining a perspective. I hear you talking about maintaining this connection so that you're hearing from the Lord throughout the different seasons. And then there's also, I heard you talk about, there's this sense that I think has probably grown over time, Janine, where you have this sense of how God uses you, right? Right. Who you are and how he uses you. And so so that helps, too, with that idea of perspective and seeking to know God in the midst of it helps maintain the Christ-likeness, if you will, while still, quote, advancing, right? Going where God calls you. Can you talk a bit about managing up? Why is that important and some tips as to how to do that well?
2: Well, I want to start with how it doesn't work well for me, what I don't <laughs> okay. What not to do before. (laughs) As a person that is considered at the top in, in my role, when people manage up, what I really, what really, really sets me on fire about managing up is when people mistreat and disregard other people, whether they're at the same level or down, in order to manage up. So managing up, to me, is really a challenge because here's what I think. My theory is when you show up to perform for an audience of one, which should be the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever you do, and in my case, it's COO, engineering, tech, whatever, when you show up and manage and and honor him, that's the only person you should be managing up to. And then when you do that, it has a positive impact and a ripple effect on everyone. So if I manage up to honor Christ, then I'm not going to be treating anybody wrong from the person, Joaquim, who is the guy that cleans our kitchen every day and, and puts coffee in the machine, who I try to make sure he feels noticed every day, all the way up to my board member. And so managing up, the term and the theory itself is really about being on point, being buttoned up, being prepared and being ready. And if you think about it, if you want to show up in a way that glorifies God, then you want God to Know that you've been prepared, that you've studied, that you've shown yourself approved. And if you do that, then you don't have to worry about necessarily managing up. You just show up in him and then all your bases should be covered. Now, let me say clearly, I did not do that. This is what I have (laughs) learned along the way. Please do not think, wow, no do not be impressed by me at all. I did not do that. I learned that the hard way and over time. So I'm just telling you what I've learned over time that I think you should glean. Because if you choose to show up in a way where you're using everything and who you are to honor God, then you don't have to worry about managing up. You will just lead in the way that David led and you'll cover all your bases. Great. Thanks. So let's talk
1: about, we talk about managing up, let's talk about managing stress.
2: Okay. Mm. How do
1: you manage the stress of a demanding career? Particularly, how do you create boundaries? And then let's think about that too. I'm, I'm throwing multiple questions in here, Janine. But as a single woman, how do you manage stress? How do you protect your boundaries?
2: So the boundaries piece is really tough because people... Not just at work, I'm talking like if you are a volunteer at your church, you know, your family, whatever. People think that single people have all the like, well, what else do you have to do? Well, <laughs> take a nap, I don't know, shower, go to the gym. But like people think that like, oh, you're single, you don't have children, so you have nothing else to do. And so we're always called upon to do everything. I mean, at least I am. If you go to your family dinner, you bring all the food, do, like, it's always something. So the stress of that and the stress that I'm experiencing right now, particularly in the pandemic, during the weight of social injustice, being isolated as an extrovert, I didn't realize how bad I was managing my stress until I went on vacation last week and I was with my family. We were in a house together and one minute I'm laughing, the next minute I'm crying. My brother's like, what's wrong with her? Because I was just like in a place where I was comfortable. So I was letting it all out. So, what I do well is I have learned to manage the things that I can because in this world of unknown, there's a bunch of things we just can't control. So, I've got to put some things in order. I can control, I can put not control, but put a few things in order. My fitness regimen is important to me, and I mean, not Like, I can't lead the Peloton class, but I can certainly take one. (laughs) So, you know, it's important for me to get on my bike or to go to the gym and go downstairs. And even if I just go on a walk on the trail out here, I have to do that. So physically, I have to move. It's important for me to, like I mentioned earlier, doing this Bible study with my prayer partner and being accountable. Thursday mornings at 7, from 7 to 8, I need to be on the phone with Nicole. We're talking about this Bible study we're doing we pray together. Monday nights from eight to nine is my prayer call with some members of my family and friends. And we do that. Like I need to make myself do that. I need to ensure that I try to block times. So my, my admin, I'm in a position now where, you know, I have an EA it's different when you're starting out. If you don't have these support mechanisms where she can block things like, you know, take, go get lunch or whatever. But when I didn't have that, you know, making sure that I put in time to say, this is my fitness time. This is my prayer time. This is my go hang out with my friends and whatever time. And I hadn't always done that well because I was so afraid to say no. Like I was afraid if people would be like, can we have this meeting? Okay, sure. But it's, you know, it's three in the morning. Okay, I can do it. You know, and instead now I'm just like, Do you realize that's three in the morning for me? And what I'm getting back is, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. I'm in Saudi. I didn't realize. So I'm realizing I'm not going to lose my job. People aren't going to think I'm a slacker or whatever. So I'm learning to do that better. And some of the simple things in life, like FaceTiming with my great nephew Jace on Sundays, or we have family Zoom calls and we play games. These are things that I'm trying to incorporate in this season where we're isolated because a big part of what kept me balanced was actually the fact that I traveled a lot. So being able to touch different parts of the world and be with friends and people around the world was was good for me. And I encourage us, if you're single, if you're a woman, it's really easy, maybe even if you're not, as you know, it's still the case, easy for us to take on and say yes to everything. And I am learning now. Maybe I'm not doing so great at saying no, but let's say I'm doing better and not saying anything and not raising your hand. Right. (laughs) So "So what are we going to do? I'm like, "Mm,"
1: you know? Yeah. So I hear you saying that in managing stress, an important piece of that for you is the physical piece, making sure that that's a regular part of your life. The spiritual piece is key To managing stress and then keeping control of your boundaries, of your time, the things that you're going to say yes to so that that helps. Right. Yeah. Great. So what challenges have you faced along the way, Janine, in your career that you attribute to issues of gender or race or actually the intersection of those two things together and any suggestions that you might have for those of us who might find ourselves in one or both of those places at this point?
2: So all I can speak to is the intersection because I am both black and a woman. So my experiences are are that, but y'all, let me tell you, when I graduated from uni as an engineer, I took a very traditional mechanical engineering set of, of opportunities so I took a role in manufacturing. It's like what all MEs do. The worst ever. The worst ever. Because manufacturing, as a woman, I'm now a production supervisor in a manufacturing plant. Check this out. I'm a production supervisor. I work in a manufacturing plant. I am working third shift as if graduating from college, I mean, I thought I might my game and actually go to bed at night. So I'm working on the third shift, which is midnight to uh, like maybe 8 a.m. or something like that. And everyone that works for me is at least 25 years older than me. So they're calling me gal, honey, chick, every disrespectful thing you can imagine. And on top of it all, I have to wear safety shoes. They're the ugliest things I've ever seen in my life. I can't even be fashionably disrespected. Like I'm disrespected and I got on ugly shoes. And it was unbelievable the way that these folks treated me because they're at this time, they were the same age as my parents in some degree. And the experience was awful. And the company missed it on every level in that they didn't have mentors and guardians and people to help us adjust in that space. And so those were experiences that I had. And the pain of those experiences, the, the taunting, the teasing, putting a rotten orange in my locker or something, I had really awful things done to me that's like bullying. But, you know, I just graduated college. I got a job. I'm an engineer, I didn't know that I should say something. I didn't know and I regret it, you know, always. I didn't realize that I should speak up, that I should identify that I was being mistreated. I was thinking, look, I got a job and my parents were like, you need to go to college and get a job. And I did just that, (laughs) so I'm winning. So I can't deal with the other stuff. And I unfortunately learned the hard way like what it means to not bet on yourself. And eventually I learned to take a bet on myself, but it took many, many years. So the intersectionality of womanhood and being a person of color, I learned, unfortunately, that no matter how hard I had studied, no matter how many interns I had worked, no matter how much I had done to prove myself, the world was still not ready for Hmm. someone like me. And Hmm. the unfortunate part is, you know, if there are women and folks like me on this call, even in 2020, they're still not.
0: Mm-hmm. The only mm-hmm.
2: difference is that there's there's a whole lot of social media and guidelines and things in the world that didn't exist, you know, when I was doing it that make, believe it or not, make it a little bit better and easier for you. Yeah. Connections at least, right?
1: Yeah. Social
2: media and, and there's rules and, and there's just different things now that make people more accountable to the things that they mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. than when they did when I was, you know, it was a long time ago when I was doing Sure, sure.
1: So there's a lot happening in the country right now, right, around race, race relations, racial injustice, et cetera. How can we be agents of change, not only in our sort of one-on-one relationships with our colleagues, but also within the systems and the structures of our workplaces?
2: Well... My pause is because being an agent of change is going to require some bravery and possibly some aloneness because what is going to be required of people that are not people of color is a voice to push against the norm. And that means that it may single you out in a way that, you weren't expecting it, but you have an opportunity to hire and promote and coach and guide and speak out for people that are having a different experience. And it's not just through a tweet or a post of you at a protest, but like I like that actually matters less to me. It's really what you're saying when you're in the room and at the table. Mm-hmm. And so- To me, when you're in the workplace, there's a whole series of things I think, you know, we need to be doing as believers in terms of praying, right? And what we should be doing in the world. And I debate this with my friends and, you know, I'm like, we're commissioned to pray for our leadership, not to sit around and degrade them. It's hard because I want to join in on that too. That's just not what we're supposed to do. And then in the workplace, I ask people, this is something that a dialogue I had with my executive I said to them, how many of you have ever reported to a woman of color, a woman or a woman of color? So apart from now, how many of you have ever had a peer-to-peer woman or woman of color? Maybe one person. How many of you have directly hired a woman of color, not just a woman, a woman of color, to be on your senior leadership team? Senior." How many of you have children? Pretty much all my colleagues. How many of them have teachers that are women of color? None. So the experience that they have with someone like me is unprecedented. They never had it. And I have to think about that and then create direction around that every single day in every moment of my work. Because if that's the case with my senior leadership, I don't know what it even is to the 507 people that work for me or with us. So when I'm trying to create an experience and when I'm trying to say what I want them to do or what I might ask of them, I have to have all of that in mind because many of their experiences are very, very limited. And so when I think about the question you asked, I'm thinking action and what we do is what matters the most. And in the workplace, I have to say, it's it's going to sit around who you're standing up for, who you're hiring, who you're promoting, what voices you're allowing in the room, who's getting patents, what are the teams look like that are creating the dynamics and the business opportunities and things like that. Those are things that I say and people are like, okay, yeah, that's easy. But then when you go and look at their teams, you're like, okay, but that's, you know, and it's like, okay, you have three people you can hire this year. One of them needs to be a person of color. Oh, I can't find any. And it's so many. Uh, my search is going to take twice as long. Okay. Let it take twice as long then. But those are things that believe it or not, as simple as they are, people aren't as willing to do them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Thank you. So Janine, what spiritual habits or practices have sustained you over the years and have they changed during the various seasons of your life and career or is there a sort of a you know is there a common thread or have there been things that have changed over the
2: years so i've always been drawn to prayer probably because i just like to talk a lot i'm a communicator so you know god listens so i talk But I know it has changed. And most recently, I'm getting some revelation of of a way that is changing that I'd like to share. And that is, I feel like I'm shifting from a place of legalism to a place of love. And it's really interesting that I'm even sharing this because I'm just going through this right now. And it's like, I've always had a tremendous fear of God, but it's been a fear of a, I'm going to tell a lie, I'm going to go to hell or whatever. Yes, I eat the cookies, please, you know, instead of the reverent fear of God, right? And so I believe that I have been growing out of the legalism of my spirituality and much more aligned with, no, I just don't want to do that because I love God. And I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to disrupt the Holy Spirit. And when I'm in meetings and I'm thinking about how angry I am about a discussion or the way I've been treated, and most recently, this has been very hard to read an email or to see a note. And my immediate response is angst and almost a knottedness in my stomach and this emotional quiver that comes over me. It's not easy for me to be like, God, help me, because I'm immediately like... (laughs) you know or I call my sister like girl you are not going to believe this you know it's so it's not it's not so easy for me to just be like lord help me but I have been even if I just take a moment I'm like god I'm trying I'm trying this was so hurtful help me to figure out like like what do you want me to do and I'm learning to do that more and recognizing that it Doesn't have to have legalism tied to it. I don't have to be on my knees and in prayer and and so formal and and traditional about it. But that when I ask God for help in whatever way I ask Him, even if it's in a room full of people or on a Zoom full of people, that He will respond and help me make really, really tough decisions. And Mm -hmm. the last thing I'll say about how it's changed is that I want to be honest with you all. As I've grown in my career, it's become a lot lonelier, to be honest with you. There's so much that goes on on the internet and in my workplace that either my family members are like, don't bring that here. We're just trying to play cards tonight and have fun. Or my friends are like, oh, and we don't. they don't get it. Or I can't share them. And it becomes, for me, it's become a little lonely. And so I've had to, you know, ask God to really... Help me to be the best leader that I can be and to show up and represent him and also, you know, and just do the work that he wants me to do in a space where I don't have any Christian comrades that I know of right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're there. They just haven't shown themselves to me.
1: You know, that's something I actually hear fairly often from women who are in places of leadership, that it, it's lonely at the top, as they say, right? And so it's, it's all the more important to develop those spiritual habits and disciplines in yourself and to intentionally, I love the fact that you have this prayer partner yeah. that you've been meeting with for years, right? Over 20 yeah. years. yeah. I remember you said that, that yeah. you've been doing that, yeah. So th- you know that's just a, I think a piece of that sustaining you in leadership over the years because you've got those pieces in place, right? So, what advice do you have for women who are either finishing up their MBAs or they're, you know, sort of at the start of their careers, particularly now that we are in the midst of this pandemic life, right? And we don't know when it's going to end. And there's just a heaviness and then uncertainty about lots of things right now. So just, I'm curious, what advice do you have for women who are starting out and really uncertain about where things are headed and, and their own sense of their
2: careers? So yeah, let's, let's be really like, let's do some practical one, two, three ABCs here. The first thing I'll say is one, people are hiring. So even in the midst of this, God is opening doors and there are opportunities and there's work. And whether you're choosing to follow a secular path or a non-secular path with your degree, what I know for sure is that God needs women like us to show up in spaces where he sends us and he's calling us to, to be in these big rooms at these big tables and maybe it'll start out in a small room at a little table um, <laughs> or in your living room on a tv tray, like i am right now but wherever it is he's calling you to he's giving you a voice and and he's giving you your knowledge and your skills and your case studies and your experiences to use in this space and so the first thing that i want to encourage you all to do is something that i did not do for a very very long time and that is believe in you the woman that God has made you to be. I did not bet on myself for a long time. And it turns out that like everyone at GE was betting on me like I was the best thing since life's bread, And I was the only one sitting around not realizing it. And it's not boastful. It's being confident in who we are as his daughters. And so, you know, if you're going to interview, if you're choosing to go down the path of going to get in a role, then there's, there's, there's a couple of reasons why you're there. One is to First and foremost, do the assignment that God's called you to, which could be, I don't know, maybe praying and being in the space. And then there's to do the skill set, the discipline of what you're doing in this job. So I want to encourage you all to show up and be. And the thing about what's happening in the world right now is that people, I don't care what their favorite color is, what faith they believe, how many chakras they want to sing and whatever it is that they've centered their life around. There's not one person, and I know I have to balance it in my role as a leader, but there's not one person that I've spoken to on my staff that, you know, is going through something, whether it's COVID or social injustice or the fires or sickness and life and separation and isolation that I haven't been able to say, is there anything I can do to help? Or, you know, do you want me to listen? And they haven't spoken to me. They've all spoken to me. And some of them share other things and I say to them, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a, a Christian, a person of faith. I don't know if, and my, global, my staff is global. So some of them, I'm saying, you may not know what that is. Do you know what that is? What's your mom's name? If you're interested, I'd like to pray for her. And I have to be very careful about how I say that because I can't make, people can't feel forced. But mm-hmm. when they're, I'm like, you know, you don't have to tell me, but if you'd like to, I'd like to be able to write her name down. These, these people stay in my heart. Not one of those people has ever said no to me not one of them, because the world is hungry and hurting, and this is our time. Whether it's your time in the job that God calls you to or whatever, I believe that it's our time, and I want to encourage you to not shrink back. The Bible talks about, like, we're not the drawing back type, but we're bold, and for so long, I just used to, like, be on the sidelines, like, I wish I could be I'm too overweight to be bold or I'm too this to be bold. I'm too whatever. And I'm, I'm so, I hate that I missed that time. But now that I have it, I'm just like, I'm going to show up in the best way that I can and do the best that I can. So that's that's one of the things that I want to advise you to, to do. And I also want to advise you to not feel like you have to compromise just because we're in the midst of all this, like, like this is the only thing that's going to come your way because it's not whatever God has for you. It will be the places that he calls us to, whether you realize and understand it now or later or never, because sometimes we may never know, but we're called to an assignment for him. I know that GE was an assignment for me. I know that Wiki is, I'm here for however long I'm supposed to be. And when I'm not, then he'll go have me light it up somewhere else. Great. Thank you. So particularly at GE,
1: when you were working to bring more women into technology, can you talk a little bit about some of the initiatives that you did there and were there any sort of quick wins that you had to improve the gender diversity in the workplace? And then maybe talk about some of the challenges, either being a woman in the technology, you know, sort of in the technology space and being a leader in
2: that space. So multiple questions. So what this question is referring to, for those of you that are listening in, it was for uh, one of the last assignments that I had before I left GE was an assignment from the chairman at the time, Jeff Immelt, where I led an initiative called Women in Technology. The, um, the marketing term was called Balancing the Equation. And our goal was to get our percentage of women in technology across the organization at a percentage which matched the percentage of women that were graduating with technical degrees, which at the time, around 2018, was about 23%. If I'm correct, don't hold me to it, our women in tech were around 18%, which is pretty standard. That's a standard number, particularly like Silicon Valley techie number. So everybody was trying to get into the 20s. And so we had several work streams to, to talk to the person that asked the question a couple of different work streams. One was around hiring, and it was really focused on where would we go, who would we send, and what would we say, right? So we had been going to a lot of the same places, partnerships that we had had with different schools, a lot of them based on where our officers and senior people had graduated from. But how would we get a more diverse gathering of schools that had higher numbers in terms of the percentage of the women that they were graduating in technology. And then who were we sending? Like, we were just sending like these really awesome old dudes that were like, we're like, this is like not like they didn't even want to, these folks didn't even want to talk to me. Like, we had to kind of remarket our whole movement of recruiting. And we did this really cool, like, Grace Hopper stuff and got this traveling van and all kinds of cool stuff that we did or a bus or whatever. But like, who we sent, and then how we showed up. And those things were really important because instead we started sending out our interns and other folks. And I know you might listen to saying, well, that seems pretty simple. But I mean, gee, we were a pretty traditional company. We were doing things the way they had always worked. So we had to change that. One of the other work streams that we were dealing with were from a data analytics perspective, really doing a deep dive in the numbers and digging into all of our businesses and the percentages in all of them. And then I kind of did a roadshow at all of our businesses, but really looking at here are the numbers of who we're going to be hiring. We wanted to look at women in tech when they left their, like what we were calling some really strong traditional roles, whether it was manufacturing, design, whatever. And when they were moving out, where were they going? They were going to quality assurance. Women were leaving the manufacturing floor. We were finding that. Why was that? Um, The shifts weren't great for women that were having children and getting married. Our bathrooms weren't comfortable if you had to, you know, (laughs) pump during, you know, when you returned to work. They were leaving to go to places that had a little bit more stability and traditional spaces for them. So understanding when our women left certain businesses, where they were going, if they left the company, why did they leave? When did they come back? How could we get them back? So we had a work stream around bringing women back to work to GE and getting them to come back and work for us. We were recognizing that we didn't understand why women were leaving. So exit interviews and things like that. So there were a lot of different things that we did that I wanted to answer that question with. And then I think one of the other parts of that question was around where I was most challenged. And I think that the biggest challenge for us there was convincing our leadership that there were enough of us out there for them to hire. It was always like, I can't find any. Oh, I don't know. And I'm like, no, we exist. We're right here. And they're graduating us by the number. Here's the school. Look at how many graduated this year from this school and that school and that school. And really getting us beyond the excuses to do Hmm. the hiring. So that was really, 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 really tough.
1: Hmm.
2: Yeah. One
1: of the things that you said there was, you talked a bit about changing some of the ways that you know you'd always done things and so one of the questions that came in actually has to do with what you've learned around the whole idea of change management which levels or areas of change interpersonal communication systems process high level structures etc have you seen to be the most effective levers for creating a workplace where all have a chance to advance and grow
2: and thrive? Oh, wow. So that's a great question. And I've done a few shifts in terms of change in organizations at GE and you know where I am currently. And I would say that change management is the hardest thing I've ever done in my career. I would rather go sell an iceberg to an Eskimo <laughs> than have to do change management. And I could probably do it faster. Culture shifts are very, very difficult. And getting communities of people to adapt and change and take on a newness, it's, it's just a really difficult thing. And so there's so many different levers like the, the person asked the question is, is saying that you can pull. You try, to, you try to pull the lever of inclusiveness. You try to pull the lever of design management. You know, you might decide that there's different ways that you can introduce change. You can go slow. You can kind of rip the Band-Aid off and go fast and make it hurt quick and go away. People leave. You're managing the appearance of people leaving, new people coming in, and all of it, in the end, is emotionally draining for the person that's trying to make it happen. And so for those of us that choose to lead culture shifts in an organization, I just say, muscle up because <laughs> it is hard. There's nothing easy about it. It's exhaustive because remember, you're you're looking to change something that's been rooted and steeped for I don't even know how long. I mean, here's an example. I mean, I worked for GE when we purchased a healthcare division at the time called Amersham. By the time I left GE, we had owned this company for more than 10 years. They didn't call themselves GE Healthcare. They still called themselves Amersham. I mean, that's... 10 years later, they still were calling themselves by an old name. So it's, it's just really tough. It's not something you do alone. It's something you do in partnership. You know, all the things that you probably already know. But I just want to say that I've lived through two or three big ones and got the scars to show it, I guess. <laughs> wow.
1: Thanks. Well, we've got a couple other questions that have come in. So one, you talked a little bit about the different places that you've been in your career. And so the question is, have you struggled with deciding what you wanted to do career-wise at any of the times? And what helped you determine the
2: path that you eventually took? Wow. So here's the thing. I did know always that I wanted to well, no, maybe my career kind of been laid out for me, interestingly enough. My cousin was older than me. He was studying engineering. He was like, you're good at math and science. Be an engineer. You'll always have a job. So I studied engineering. Seriously. Like, that's why I studied engineering. My sister was a nurse and my sister was 14 years, is, is 14, about 14 years older than me. So the juxtaposition and cross with healthcare is something that I knew I wanted to do, I just didn't know how. I knew I didn't want to be an engineer that was going to go into aviation or automotives, which is where most mechanical engineers go. I went into healthcare. It's pretty different at the time. I knew that I wanted to serve and save the world. I was addicted growing up to like World Vision and save the children commercials and things like that. (laughs) I didn't know how I would do it. I literally did not. So when I went to GE, it was as soon as I finished B school. So probably one of the most relatable stories I'll be able to tell to those of you that are in B school was that as I was finishing up when I was programming and coding as an engineer, getting my MBA at the time, my then manager did the most amazing thing for me. He fired me. I had been talking to him about my classes and I was I loved GE and I loved McKinsey and I knew I wanted to work for one of them and GE gave me uh, put me wanted me to come join them on their leadership program, which you know GE has great leadership programs, and they were going to allow me to run a P and L and learn to run a business. And so I was just like, oh, and my I remember Glenn was like, he was my manager at the time. He's like, you you got to take this job and go work for GE. And I was supposed to because my company had paid for me to go to B school. I needed to work there for like another two to however many years. To pay back or whatever. And so he fired me. So I wouldn't have to pay it back. I graduated B school in May. I started at GE in August, in August of that year. And so that's how I ended up at GE Healthcare. Every job I got after GE was a door that God opened that he he set before me. When I had a chance to do the global work and then be an expat and then come back and work at the research center and lead a business there, they were all doors that opened up for me. And so I can't say I scripted it out. I can Mm -hmm. say that there were great opportunities that came my way. I think that answers the question. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because the next question
1: asks about sponsorship or mentorship. And did you ever ask anyone to sponsor you for a career move? If you did, how did that go? Sounds to
2: me like you didn't have to, that your sponsorship was firing. (laughs) Yeah. So I was fired. (laughs) I was fired. And Glenn to this day is still, he says he's not my mentor anymore. We're friends. But when I got to GE, Listen, I did. I had mentors all along the way and every one of them were opening doors for me that I didn't know. So they were having other conversations. So when GE decided that they were going to do this work in Africa, my then, who's still my mentor, Mike, who is the chief technology officer at GE Healthcare, was behind the scenes like, we should put Janine in that role. And then this one and that one. And then when, when I went to work for Jay Ireland, the CEO of GE Africa, you know, Jay knew about me before I knew he wanted me to come to Africa. These conversations start to happen when you're I guess doing great work and, and showing up in this space. So yes, I have. I've had. I've asked my mentors, even when I was repatriating, I was like, I wanna work at the research. I wanna do this kind of work. Jay, can you help me get a job here? And then I remember when I wanted to take a sabbatical from GE and Jay called and said, hey, they want you to do this job. And I was like, I need you to make sure I don't get a job. I need some time off. But yes, I have asked for partnership. I have asked my mentors for sponsorship sometimes it's worked out in ways that were exactly what i wanted other times i I've, I've been asked to do assignments that that weren't exactly the things that i wanted to do great
1: another question says you mentioned leading learning and leaving mm-hmm as three things that God has called you to do in different roles and spaces. She said, I'm wondering if you've struggled with discerning the voice of God clearly in any of those areas, particularly when it comes to this idea of knowing when to leave or when to stay.
2: Yes, I'm struggling with that. Well, I told you right now, I'm doing this Bible study with Nicole and it's discerning the voice of God. It's a life Women's woman's Bible study. And yes, I was writing in my journal this morning. I don't understand why I can't discern when God is speaking to me. Like, (laughs) I don't understand this. Sometimes I get it. Other times I'm like, oh, yes, he spoke to me. Other times I'm like, I don't know. So yes, I don't know if sometimes I can say this, honestly, to my sister who asked that question. Yes. Sometimes I struggle with discerning the Holy Spirit's leading to God speaking. Other times, I'm pretty sure he's speaking and I'm not listening or I'm not obeying, okay? And then the leaving piece is the part I still don't understand. If God drank coffee and wanted to come have it, I want to ask him, you made me to be a person that hates, one of the things that I hate more than anything in life is saying goodbye, leaving people. Some of it is from the loss I've experienced. So I don't like it. Why do you put me in places to leave when you know I don't like to do that? You made me this way and then you had me do. I don't understand. So leaving is hard. What I am learning is, and I've only left one company, really one company. I tell you, I got fired. So I left one company on my own and then I went to Wiki. But I did leave four. no, I left about six different jobs over 16 years at GE. And every one of them, Every single one of them was struggling and weeping and why God, but every one of them has led to something greater and more wonderful. So I don't know why I just don't learn my lesson. (laughs) I I surrender. I don't know why. I'm just telling you all my flaws right now. So I'm trying so hard every day to be the woman that God wants me to be. That's what I can tell you
1: so you've got this prayer partner, Nicole, right? That's I mean. yes, Nicole. Um, Does she help you listen? I'm curious if she, if she's been somebody in your life who's helped
2: you in that whole discernment place. She does. And Nicole's so much, she's, she's so much better than me in that. Like I'll just be going on and on. And if she was in this meeting right now, she'd be like, would you please just stop? <laughs> like, I don't know if you're just wanting to feel sorry for yourself right now or you need a nap or what, but we just had this conversation. God spoke to you yesterday and you felt so guilty because you were being prideful. You told me. <laughs> so like she was, she calls me on, on different things. And she also reminds me not to be so hard on myself. Mm-hmm. Like she gives me that humanity check. Yeah.
1: Great. All right. We've done three of these Dear Mentor Live events this summer, and we will turn them into a podcast series, Lord willing. So keep an eye out for that. And as always, just want to refer you to The Well, lots of resources and helps to you there along the way. And there also happens to be a podcast interview with today's guest, Janine. So if you want to hear Janine talk a little bit more you can go to the well to our podcast page and you can find our podcast with her. So Janine, thank you so much for being willing to stay up late and be with us tonight. Thank you for sharing honestly with us wins and losses right along the way. Thank you for being honest with us and sharing some of your life with us. Really appreciate hearing from you. So thank you for that.
2: Thank you for having me. And thank you all for joining. I'm praying for all of you and for you that are on the West Coast. You know, everyone stay safe and be well. And, you know, just thanks for letting me get some stuff off my chest. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for coming. Blessings on your night.
0: And we look forward to seeing you another time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of All Shall Be Well. Conversations with Women in the Academy and Beyond. This is Caroline Trisik, and information about our guests can be found on our podcast page at the slash podcasts. This has been a production of Women in the Academy and Professions, a focused ministry initiative of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA. We value the contribution of podcast guests who are not employed by InterVarsity, and we acknowledge that the opinions of our guests may or may not represent the ministry, doctrine, or policies of InterVarsity. Thank you for joining our conversation as we engage in faith and life together. We'd love to hear your feedback. To share your thoughts or to learn more about who we are or the resources and connections we provide, we invite you to visit us at our online gathering place, The Well, You can find us at thewell.intervarsity.org.